This podcast is brought to you by Free Buddhist Audio, the Dharma for real life. Our work is funded entirely by donations from our generous listeners. If you would like to help us keep this free, come and join us at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash community. Thank you and happy listening. So I'm just going to talk for a little while as an introduction to not just the stage of spiritual death, but also the stage of uh, spiritual rebirth. I'm going to do them both together, uh, and then uh, we can just get on with meditating for a couple of days. Um, So I've been talking to this Nidana chain, and uh, pointing out the way in which... um, we move away from primary experience uh, into uh, a secondary experience which is constructed upon our, uh, our uh, primary experience, our reactions to the, especially the pleasure and pain content of those, that primary experience. And uh, we've been looking at the way in which the stage of integration brings us back to uh, our basic experience, to basic Sparsha, Vedana, and identification of the world around us. And that uh, this, the, uh, the stage of positive emotion uh, brings positive intentions uh, into play in relation to that primary experience. So we deal with it skillfully, helpfully to ourselves and to others. But of course, uh, positive emotion goes further and deeper than. Uh, um, well-wishing, or well-wishing goes further than deeper than uh, merely having thoughts of well-wishing. Um, skillful action leads to uh, karmic resultants. It leads to karma vipaka. And uh, as you act more and more skillfully, as you generate more and more skillful action, uh, well, you experience a fulfilment, you experience an enrichment. So I've been talking about an enriching and deepening of your experience, and uh, that is a karmic consequence. So it's as a result of your skillful action, of your, first of all, uh, being integrated with, of being mindful of your primary experience and not reacting to it, and then your skillful action um, in relation to it, your experience unfolds with a greater richness and depth. So uh, the, the, the whole sort of early realm of spiritual life is, is really to do with karma vipaka, um, karma and karma vipaka. Dhyana, in the end, is a karma vipaka. Um, it's very clear when you read the, the, the early texts, the Samanapala Sutta, for instance, which is a a kind of root text of the, the basic path. Um, the Buddha talks about, first of all, renunciation, then uh, an ethical life. There's a lot that all uh, three or four different versions of precepts are given. Uh, an ethical life uh, so that you're living skillfully. And as a result of living skillfully, you're happy. Uh, happiness is a result of your innocent life. Um, 
then as a result of being happy, you become concentrated. You just sit and your mind naturally collects itself. And uh, it naturally, in accordance with your, your, uh, uh, the purity of your, uh, of your mind, it naturally uh, begins to touch on uh, higher realms of consciousness. Uh, one can make effort, of course, but you can only make that effort to the degree that you've got the, the basis for it, the karmic basis for it. Um, so that the, the, when I say the early stages of spiritual life, I mean for many lifetimes, uh, a large part of it is to do with working with karma. Uh, you're working with the karma niyama. Um, you could say that prapancha uh, takes place because you, you've, uh, you've identified yourself almost entirely with nature, with the, uh, the three lower niyamas. You've not seen that uh, there's a karmic um, force to be taken into consideration. So you, you're, you're, um, uh, you're a sophisticated animal, you might say. Your um, vitaka, uh, your intelligence is being used for the sake of uh, um, well, human-animal aspirations and interests. But um, the spiritual life works with a kamaniyama. Uh, to begin with, you're aligning yourself more and more with the Kamaniyama, so that your, your actions are aligned, yes, aligned with uh, the Kamaniyama. This um, current, you could almost say, within reality, that uh, means that skillful action brings fulfilment, um, inner inner satisfaction and happiness, if not always, of course, a smooth life from an external point of view, because that's due to the other niyamas. But um, in, internally, you'll gain more and more satisfaction, pleasure, uh, fulfilment, um, well, sort of self-respect, self-confidence, uh, self and so on. Um, so, yes, I've talked about primary experience gaining richness and depth, that's under the, uh, the result of uh, the action of the karma niyama. But that's not the end of it. There's another niyama. There's the dhamma niyama. And uh, to begin with, in a way, you, you can only work with the dhamma niyama by um, well, following the Buddha's teachings. Uh, but eventually, the Dhamma Niyama becomes a, a force within your own life, you might say. Um, this is part of what I was talking to Bhante about the, in these interviews I've mentioned. We were talking quite a bit about the Niyamas. He had a lot to say about the Niyamas. Um, and uh, he was saying that, uh, well, that it, it's uh, the Dhamma Niyama that makes Buddhahood possible. It's that which it, within reality that makes Buddhas arise, makes enlightenment possible. There's something about the way reality works that uh, brings um, enlightenment. So just as there's something about reality, the way reality works, that means that when you act skillfully, you'll gain um, in um, well, spiritual depth and richness 
uh, your gain in satisfaction, inner satisfaction. Uh, in the same way, when you uh, align yourself with the Dhamma Niyama, you will uh, understand reality more and more deeply. Uh, he, he spoke of it not merely as a sort of uh, a description. Um, it's not that the Dhamma Niyama is uh, you know, a description of what happens. It's as if it's almost a kind of a force. Of course, it's not exactly a force. It's only a metaphor. But it's, it's once you start to align yourself with it, it begins to operate independently of your will. It begins to manifest in your life and, and, and behaviour. Do you see what I mean? We don't want to go to the extreme of a kind of vitalism or, or whatever. At the same time, we, we need to recognise there's, there's something about the universe which is active, which is dynamic, that once you begin to align yourself with it, it takes you forward and it unfolds and eventually uh, leads to your, your uh, full realisation. Um, Bhante um, talked about this in terms of his own experience of... Uh, 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 well, first of all, of uh, connecting with the Dhamma when reading the Diamond Sutra. And he said he experienced a huge release of energy uh, and a great sense of joy uh, through his contact with the, with the Dhamma at a very, very lofty level. It, uh, it sort of worked within him. It uh, um, well, changed his experience and uh, yes, released a huge amount of energy and joy. And he said, at various times in his life, he's felt as if uh, um, he was being worked through. It's a metaphor. Uh, don't fix it too much. But he, he talked particularly of that time when uh, he was in Nagpur, um, uh, sorry, in, in Bombay, and had arranged to go to Nagpur to uh, be with the, the, the new Buddhists who converted just six weeks before. And his friend, Dr. Mehta, if you've read the memoirs, he tried to stop him. Uh, but Bhante knew he had to go. And uh, he arrived there and, of course, was greeted with the news that Dr. Ambedkar had died. And he said that for the next three or four days, he, uh, he functioned without thinking. Um, he gave many talks. He said he never thought about what he was going to say. But whatever he, what, he, what he said appeared, as it were, in his mouth and was exactly what needed to be said. And um, in, you know, without saying that somebody was doing something through him, it was as if it was something more than him at work. Um, so when we're talking about the, the, the Dhamma Niyama, uh, we need to think of something that sort of operates beyond our normal self, our normal experience um, that we're opening up to, that we're, we're trying to, yes, align ourselves with. Our practice of the Dhamma, to a large extent, is aligning ourselves with the, uh, this force, this current that's in, inherent in, in, in reality. Um, hmm. That's all there is to be said, really. Uh, but it's a very, very powerful, important point, which uh, warrants a great deal of reflection. Um, 
it's not just a matter of kind of common sense of realising something and uh, there you go. It's a question of something opening up which is far bigger than you and that uh, uh, in a sense sort of works through you. Bhante um, spoke of the, the Garava Sutta, which we'll read tonight in the Puja. Um, in the Garava Sutta, he's talked about it in a number of places. Um, just after the Buddha's enlightenment, the Buddha thinks to himself, um, it's painful not to look up to something. It's painful not to rely on something. So what is there that I can live uh, reverencing and relying upon? And so then he says, well, there's, there's no human being I can do that with. There's nobody who's greater in realisation than me. Uh, there's nobody who understands life better than me. And so I can't rely on any, uh, any human being. So what will I rely upon? And he says then, uh, let me live reverencing the Dhamma, relying upon the Dhamma. And... Uh, Bhante says he thinks this is a tremendously significant passage, which he finds it strange is not really commented on in the, in the Pali Canon. Um, looking for it this morning, I, I found another passage where um, uh, one of the, the, the Arahat Bhikshus talks about himself relying upon the Buddha uh, and reverencing the Buddha. There's a footnote, and the translator, Bhikkhu Bodhi, says, this seems rather strange that he's an arahant, but he still reveres and reverences the Buddha. Uh, so, clearly something hasn't been sort of uh, um, um, kind of no, nothing's been made of this. Whereas Bhante says he thinks it's tremendously significant that uh, what it implies is that the Buddha's realization was in a sense not enough his realization connected him to something some principle if you like but principle is too kind of flatter word uh, not sufficiently um, dynamic uh, or um, um, transcendent you could say um, he was connected to something that was greater than him which his realisation was uh, uh, a realisation of. And uh, he suggested that maybe that this is what is being got at in later tradition when it talks of uh, the Buddha Amitabha sort of standing behind the Buddha Shakyamuni. There's um, um, you know, a kind of transcendental, universal, um, uh, I won't say abstract, uh, Buddha, uh, uh, who, who the, uh, the human historical Buddha kind of reveres, looks up to and um, uh, sort of um, relates to, relies upon. What you could say is that the Buddha is uh, still a human being. So he's still living as a, uh, as a human being. He's got a human body, he's got a human brain and therefore a certain sort of human mechanism. So even though his realisation is beyond time, above time, as a human being, he stands in relation to that, beyond time, if you see what I mean. Um, in talking about it and trying to sort of get to grips with it, um, 
uh, Bhante sort of stressing that he's very reluctant to talk about these things they're so easily sentimentalized so easily reified so easily drift into you know grand abstractions uh, so easily uh, lead to um, people thinking they've understood something because they've got a form of words uh, he said in the end he thinks it's a mystery and uh, it's a mystery which we shouldn't try to understand in a way we should recognize that there's something that the Buddha realizes uh, and that we can begin to contact um, that cannot be understood in our, in our ordinary terms and that our spiritual lives are, are to, a, to an extent an attempt to open up to so he thinks it's far better to give as little content to that as possible and this is his quarrel with uh, later Mahayana and so forth which um, you know, fills the, 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 the void with lots of uh, grand metaphysical abstractions um, even, well you know his his distrust of terminology of Tathagata Garbha and so forth. He thinks that this sort of then imposes on the, uh, the mystery something that appears to be intelligible. And it may have some positive effect, may come out of people's genuine experience, but he thinks the dan- danger is that it easily uh, um, stands between you and the mystery. Of course, the danger of leaving it as a mystery is that you think it's blank. So how to, uh, you know, pitch it just right down the middle. And uh, he said he thinks, for instance, um, if you're talking about your own experience, your own even spiritual experience, even some kind of vision experience, don't reach for ready-made concepts. He said, describe the raw experience. Don't try to fit it into some categories and say it's this or that whether they're categories to do with Buddhist um, metaphysics or categories you know, to do with this realisation or that realisation, this level or that level. Just describe the experience. And um, you know, if people have had that experience, so they'll recognise what you're talking about. If they haven't, well, they'll get some inkling of it because well, all experience um, you know, has echoes for, for, for others if you describe it... Uh, um, sort of honestly enough so yes he, he, he's saying that uh, there's a mystery uh, the Buddha uh, fully engages with a mystery that uh, our spiritual lives are lived to, um, to see if you can see a mystery to immerse ourselves in and uh, that's what we're beginning to do in the stage of spiritual death and the stage of spiritual rebirth in the stage of spiritual death um, we're letting go uh, we're giving up uh, those things that prevent us from uh, experiencing the mystery those things that prevent the, the Dhamma Niyama working itself out through us um, we're systematically disentangling ourselves from our uh, identification of ourselves with our physical bodies, with, our phys- with the physical elements, thinking that that's who we are, uh, thinking of our, uh, our minds in those terms, uh, thinking of our experience in those terms, thereby 
closing them off, narrowing them down, so the Dhamma Nima can't, can't manifest within us. Uh, it's uh, got no chance, no opportunity. There's no hole, as it were, through which it can seep. Although it sometimes does sort of burst through um, in uh, you know, spontaneous ways um, under odd circumstances. But yes, yeah, first of all, you need to, we need to loosen our hold on uh, uh, our tight grasping onto um, the, the, the physical elements as me and learn to uh, experience them but without uh, grasping. Anyway, that's what you're doing in, 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 with mindfulness, actually. You're trying to see what's there uh, without any sense of mine. You know, even when we're, we're looking through the body and seeing the, uh, the sensations of, um, of having a body, um, of, you know, of touch and so forth, we're trying to just see them without any, any sense of, of grasping onto them. But uh, we need to much more systematically undo our, our identification with the physical elements. So when we do the six element practice, we're... we're we're engaging in that process. We're, we're um, recognising that there's nothing in each of the elements, earth, water, fire and air, that is permanent, that's substantial, that we can, we can call our own. And we're giving it up. Um, it's interesting in the, in the Pali version of the, 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 uh, the practice, in the... Uh, uh, Datu Vibhanga Sutta in Majjhima Nikaya it talks about um, uh, feeling uh, Nibindati having the experience of Nibida do you remember in the positive Nidanas um, Nibida which means usually disentanglement sometimes even disgust a sense of I don't want not just oh let go but of give up let go it's uh, it's holding me down, it's, it's tacky, it's uh, holding me back. And then uh, virajati, which of course is viraga, which is what follows on, which is uh, dispassion. In other words, indifference, you're not, you're not interested. And uh, uh, the interesting thing is that these come on after yathabhuta and yanadashana, don't they? Which is the point when the dhamma begins to decisively operate within you irreversibly operate within you. It's, it's uh, the point when you enter the stream. The stream is the stream of Dhamma uh, You've entered uh, the, that, that conditioning process, that uh, process of Pratita Samudpada, which leads on to uh, enlightenment. So you're letting go of what prevents that from unfolding. And uh, then when you come to the uh, space element, um, you're getting some sort of preliminary feeling of spaciousness uh, because you're, you're letting go of a limited experience of space. So you're, you're connecting with a, a much larger field of consciousness and then you're seeing that consciousness, um, well, it's got nothing to identify itself with in the... Uh, in the five elements. Consciousness is, um, is pure subjectivity, you could say. So it has no identity, by definition. Do you see what I mean? That identity belongs to the objective world. 
Um, it's objects that are identified, uh, distinguished from other things. But consciousness is the act. It's not actually a thing at all. It's the act of knowing objects. It, uh, uh, Bante suggested in these discussions that one might, he once tried to use a verbal form of consciousness, which is consiring, uh, C-O-N-S-C-I-R-E, uh, I-N-G rather. And uh, we both agreed that probably it wouldn't catch on. Um, uh, but it means, um, you know, the act of, of knowing, the act of being conscious, it's connected with science. Um, so consciousness isn't a thing. We talk about it as if it was a table or a chair. My consciousness, you know, so we say, my consciousness leaves my body at death. As if, um, you know, your shirt came off and went on to somebody else. Um, it's not like that. Um, if consciousness is the act of knowing. Uh, so uh, when uh, you're not identifying anything as mine within the objective world, there's nothing for consciousness to be attached to. So uh, consciousness uh, is just conscious. Uh, it's just being conscious in the... Uh, in the text, in the, the, the Dhatu Vibhanga Sutta, the Buddha talks about it as being uh, uh, parishuddha uh, pariyodhata, which means uh, very pure uh, and very bright. So uh, what you experience when you cease to identify with the, uh, uh, the elements, the, 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 the physical elements, is a consciousness that is um, unde undefined, uh, luminous, uh, knowing, but without a knower, and without a source, as it were, of light. It's just uh, uh, pure knowing. And um, Bhante says then, we well, just see what happens. You've sort of pushed your boat out into the middle of the stream, see where the stream takes you, see what unfolds in, in your... Uh, in your experience, what happens to consciousness. Of course, you may need to, to continue to just disentangle uh, as your, your consciousness goes back to, to clinging and grasping. You just sort of disentangle. But uh, essentially what you're doing is allowing something to happen, seeing what's left when you leave this space. And the space that you're leaving is a space within which the Dhamma can begin to emerge or unfold. So uh, uh, the, uh, the stage of spiritual death is dying to those things that obscure the Dhamma those things that hold you back from the Dhamma It's those, those things that you cling to that prevent the stream from carrying you along. It's as if you're, well... We're in the midst of reality, where therefore the Dhamma is playing upon us all the time. In a sense, the Dhamma operates through the other Niyamas, um, getting dangerously close to metaphysicalizing it all. But um, we, 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 we remain, as it were, safe from the Dhamma because we cling to the elements, we cling to the skandhas, we cling to uh, mine, I. And... Uh, when we, we, uh, we, we, we relax, which is what we do in this uh, six-element practice, there's an opportunity for the Dhamma to begin to operate through us. And uh, 
what actually happens, uh, it's best not to say too much. Um, because uh, when you speak about it too much, uh, you start to sort of prepackage what happens. And uh, it's very, very difficult not then to sort of uh, think you're having an experience that you're not actually having, uh, to, to sentimentalize it or reify it. So Bhante prefers you're leaving a space within the myth, a mystery has the opportunity of unfolding. And of course, nothing may happen. But uh, you, you, you repeatedly do the practice, you disentangle more and more, and there's more and more of an opportunity for, for something to emerge. So that's the, uh, the stage of spiritual death. What about the stage of spiritual rebirth? Because in a way, the Dhamma Niyama working within you is rebirth, is spiritual rebirth. You've died to a, a self connected with the, the, uh, the four, well, the three lower Niyamas and even, in a way, the, 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 the Karma Niyama. Um, and when you die to that, something else takes over. But... Uh, we, we, we need some sort of way of uh, approaching that. We need some way of well, worshipping the Dhamma Niyama. Um, it's not enough just to have a golden Dhamma Chakra. Uh, it's very difficult to feel the golden Dhamma Chakra is uh, sort of worthy of reverence. It can be just a sort of uh, shorthand for a pile of books. Uh, maybe it isn't for some people. Very interesting, there's a... There's a the, Fascinating suttas in which the, the, uh, the golden wheel appears in the sky, the wheel of the wheel turning monarch, and so on. But uh, yes, it's, it's in a way an abstract symbol. It doesn't carry, well, for me at least, it doesn't carry a, a kind of uh, numinous power, a sense of something uh, 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 coming from another dimension. Uh, and we need that, because without revering and uh, relying upon something life is suffering of course we can rely and uh, revere the Buddha um, and we're very very fortunate the Buddha is a historical personage who we know quite a lot about and Bhante says he thinks that we need to know we need to sort of focus much much more on the historical Buddha all the other Buddhas and Bodhisattvas only have their meaning because of the historical Buddha. So we need to sort of ground ourselves again and again in, in, the, in the historical Buddha, because he embodies that transcendence. Uh, but in a way, we need to have a bit of a, a glimpse almost beyond the historical Buddha. Or, or, or we need a glimpse of what it is that makes him the Buddha. And, uh, well, we get this from the, uh, the archetypal Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, uh, they embody the, the Dhamma Niyama at a point beyond our human horizon. Uh, Bhante speaks of uh, them as, uh, um, as being uh, on the horizon of our experience. What's beyond the horizon we can't imagine, but there, where that horizon, well, where, where what's beyond that horizon meets us. Um, and they, they allow us to connect with uh, something way beyond our own, uh, our own um, present experience, our present 
consciousness, our present way of experiencing. And uh, they give us something to, to revere, to rely upon, and to aspire to, and even to serve. Um, yeah, we can do that with the, with, with the human historical Buddha, because he's for us, to some extent, also a, uh, a, a, an archetype. He goes beyond the human and the historical. But uh, through these uh, the practices that we were given at ordination, we've been given a, a, a means of connection with the, the, the Dhamma Niyama uh, in an embodied form, in a personified form, albeit a, a transcendental person, you know, without, as it were, human characteristics um, in the ordinary sense, um, which can is much more approachable for us. You remember in the, in the uh, Three Jewels, I remember talking about this on one or other of the Guhilokas that some of you are on, uh, he talks about um, uh, to think of uh, enlightenment as impersonal uh, is to think of it as subpersonal. Uh, and it's better to think of it as suprapersonal. Do you see what I mean? So that if you think of the, the Enlightenment as something impersonal, the impersonal for us is something that has no personality. In other words, it's subpersonal, because personal is the highest category we know. So you need to think of Enlightenment as something beyond a person. And the best way you can do that is thinking of a transcendent personality. Is that clear? Uh, so that, that uh, when we visualise the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, we're connecting with the, this, uh, this principle, the Dhamma Niyama, an active uh, force uh, which is the, the dynamic of the whole of, uh, of reality um, in terms of these, these figures, um, which um, are not literally what it is, uh, but they're the nearest approach we can get to it from uh, our, our uh, sense-based, albeit um, uh, sublim sublimated sense um, faculties. So that's what these two uh, uh, stages are about. The stage of spiritual death focuses on letting go so that something can happen. Uh, not just letting go, Bant is stressed. He doesn't think that the terminology of letting go is enough. You need to think of giving up something much more active uh, that goes a little bit against the grain. We are definitely putting down, um, getting rid of, putting aside. Uh, so that something can begin to emerge. And uh, in the, uh, the visualisation practices, you're, you're connecting with the, the closest you can come to what that mystery is without falsifying it. Um, he thinks that uh, metaphysical formulae easily falsify, uh, and that uh, you get much closer to it in, in uh, imaginative terms, imaginal terms, archetypal terms, albeit um, transcendentalized archetypes, not mere archetypes, but archetypes that are invested with uh, a transcendent meaning. And that when you contemplate those, you're, you're drawn up, you're allowing the, the Dhamma Niyama to affect you directly. So uh, I hope this is, this is a helpful way of talking. This is uh, um, hot off the press. 
um, and uh, gaining clarity in my own mind as I'm speaking. But uh, uh, I, I find it especially helpful that um, we should think of the universe as constructed uh, with a built-in uh, tendency towards enlightenment. Uh, Bante says very tentatively, in a way you could see this in all the niyamas. Uh, you can see that the, uh, the physical, uh, inorganic niyama sort of transcends itself in, uh, in, in um, the sort of biological creation. It's out of it come, comes uh, life, living matter. Um, and then you can see that that living matter fulfills itself in uh, 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 the, the, the uh, intelligence of the animal, the instinctive intelligence of the animal, the manoniyama, which operates in us too. A lot of what we are is uh, this uh, instinctive intelligence, uh, albeit uh, at a very sophisticated level. And that fulfills itself in the, in the kamaniyama, uh, in, uh, uh, in self-consciousness, Self-consciousness is uh, the basis of uh, ethics. Uh, it's when, when self-consciousness is there that there's a, a relationship between the self and the world. Um, so the kamaniyama is the fulfilment of the manoniyama, you could say. And the, 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 uh, the dhammaniyama uh, kind of emerges out of the, uh, uh, the, the kamaniyama because when you are um, fully operating in harmony with the kamaniyama, the dhammaniyama can manifest. When you are fully skillful, uh, when you're living a, a life of uh, uh, ethical purity, when your mind is deeply immersed in uh, higher mental states, the dhammaniyama emerges. So uh, the, the, uh, uh, this force of tra- self-transcendence, this transcending force, is present uh, at every level of reality. And uh, what we're doing in our spiritual lives is aligning ourselves with that. And everything that we're doing, even during these days, is an alignment with those forces. What we're doing in these practices, uh, first of all, is getting out of our, um, our sort of false construction of reality, which our self-consciousness allows us to do. Our manoniyama emerges with a self-conscious dimension and we, uh, we mistake its character and we become immersed in uh, seeking uh, um, uh, satisfaction through the senses, albeit in very complex ways. So the, the, we're lost in prapancha. We come back to ordinary basic awareness. Um, and then we make that skillful through uh, 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 maitri, and through skillful action, which begins to emerge as richer and richer experience of life in aesthetic terms, aesthetic in the, the worldly sense and aesthetic in the, in the dhyanic sense. And uh, if we then, what we then need to do is uh, um, work at letting go of our grasp onto the uh, the lower niyamas, our identification with the lower niyamas, um, our identification with the elements, and uh, uh, allowing something to emerge within us. We don't know what, uh, but we have confidence, we have faith 
that that will happen. Our faith is our, the first glimmering of the Dhamma Faith is the first sort of sense of being pulled upwards beyond ourselves. And uh, with the six element practice, we're deliberately letting go our hold on the, uh, um, on the, on the elements, even on the, on the lower niyamas, our identification with the lower niyamas. And uh, with the visualization practices, we're, we're engaging, we're, we're opening up to the Dhamma Niyama as uh, embodied in these uh, transpersonal personalities and uh, thereby allowing the Dhamma to uh, affect us much more fully, much more deeply. So there you are. Uh, we're going to do it now. Um, a lot to reflect on, but a lot to work with. And I think the main thing is that as we approach these two dimensions of practice, uh, try to get that sense of mystery and of faith that something will emerge. Those seem to be the key terms. Uh, uh, a, a sense of faith, but almost you could say, you don't know what in. Um, uh, a, a faith in, in something that you're absolutely confident is beneficent and is supremely beneficent but you don't know what it is you can't put it into words you know you can't put it into words or you know that any words you put it into will miss something about it and uh, yes you, 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 you give yourself up to that that's what these two practices are really about We hope you enjoyed the talk. Please come and help us keep this free at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash community. And thank you.